0: Welcome to the Arts Union Science Journal, please enter your password.
1: Science Journal. Welcome back to the journal that intends to analyze movies the way others analyze science. Today we humbly present another episode of Volume 6. And this episode is titled Purifying the Secondary Metabolite of White Savior from an Otherwise Productive Reaction in The Last Samurai colon A Rope of Sand. <laughs> My name is Tyler D.R. Vance and as always I will be your Corresponding author, yeah, that's what they call me. And joining us once again is everybody's favorite first author, Sean W. Fippin. How you oh,
0: doing? I'm doing great. You're too kind. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to join you on the podcast.
1: I I'd have to really look back over the catalog to make sure but I'm pretty sure you're the first repeat author like volume to volume like back to back you were in volume 5 and now you're in volume 6
0: got to give the people what they want right
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah exactly they were they were screaming they're for cl- it
0: they're clamoring for more Sean
1: and really, like, it's going to keep happening because, you know, they just released a trailer for um, Thor Love and Thunder. Um, I,
0: yes. I. You know what? I was just thinking about that before we recorded that, like, I wonder if I could, like, come back and would Tyler be willing to, like, have me on, like, right after that comes out?
1: Oh, definitely. We can do what we did for the Eternals where we'll go out and have a nice, like, a, a nice day on the town and, like, um, and then come yeah. back and record a podcast.
0: I'd be down for that. that. Sounds awesome. It's It's coming out in, like, July or something. Marvel's done this weird thing where they, like they don't um, start releasing trailers until like just shortly before the movie comes out.
1: Like honestly, they they're at the, the Marvel's got to the point that they barely need to release a trailer. They can just literally put the name of the movie and when to show up and it'll do fine.
0: <laughs> and it, I think it's all for the better too. Cause like, you know, when they had like a really like long runway of trailers, they keep releasing more and more trailers with more and more content. And it just gives more stuff from the movie away like i remember okay. when um they had trailers for thor, uh, thor ragnarok mm-hmm. and eventually they released a trailer that revealed that the hulk is in it Yeah. and yep. i'll never forgive them for that <laughs> i'll
1: never for- the biggest like people think that this is a new thing though but the biggest travesty in like the entirety of time was the trailer for terminator 2 Ooh. um gave away the massive um the massive like reveal in that which, have you seen Terminator 2? Oh, I have, but like a long time ago. So it was a, supposed to be a surprise that Arnold Schwarzenegger was a good guy in that movie. What? Yeah, and they gave it away in the trailer. And James Cameron, the director, was
0: super pissed.
1: Like, real unhappy about it.
0: Interesting. So that's kind of like a difference between, like, the product that the director put together and then how it's presented by the, I don't know, what would you call that? like the um, Like the production company?
1: yeah like because oftentimes they have like actual like separate trailer houses like a completely separate company and their job is to cut together a trailer with the material you give them that's why um suicide squad was it, or was it the suicide squad whichever one came out first with uh jared Leto's joker in it like there was such a disconnect between the movie and the trailer because the trailer was this like hyper kinetic real fun queen singing like uh rigmarole yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. you like watch the movie and it's like more of the usual dceu dark drab gray beam in the sky so we're some sort of suicide squad you're like oh god will smith stop it
0: <laughs> <laughs> that honestly did feel like i i remember watching that movie and it did feel like a bait and switch when i went to see it maybe more yeah. than like any other movie that i've seen
1: we were we were promised one thing a bundle of goods and we got nothing but raw eggs um hopefully that won't be what happens today because this episode is actually the next in our we do what we want volume because following yes. the success of our grant renewal volume we are carefree and unfettered by the needs and wants of the financial succubi that once hounded us <laughs> um so we're going to do what we want no theme no nothing so yeah the last samurai the last um samurai what this this was an episode that kind of materialized really quickly um, because just out of the blue, seemingly, you just messaged me and were like we should do a podcast episode on the Last Samurai. So, would you like to share with the the listeners a little bit about wh- why this movie? What's the impetus for the Last Samurai, and why should we do an Arts Union Science Journal entry on it?
0: I've recently I've been kind of going through these movies on Netflix that are. Not necessarily the oldest movies, but because it's you know 2022 now, these movies that were released in the early 2000s are now 20 years old, and so they feel like classics to me. Mm. Um, and so the last you know couple weekends I've just been going through, and um, you know just to name off a couple, so I've watched The Last Samurai, I watched the movie Troy, which was inspired by um, one of the podcasts that you just recently released. Yep um 300 and so they're all kind of um historical uh historical dramas or historical epics and so I was watching this one and just got really um swept up in a wave of nostalgia because I'd watched this movie quite a bit when I was um when I was a teenager and it came out and I just felt very uh, compelled to text you and be like we should do a podcast on this. I wanted to branch out from my usual Marvel movie uh content that we usually discuss
1: that's fair that's fair and i have i have plans for your your next entry on this podcast as well after this is like there's i have thoughts uh, cooking um okay but we, we won't talk about those here because we have a lot of movie to get through um because the, the these epics from the early 2000s are in many things they are indeed epic at times they is like they are other things at other times but one thing they are all is long they yes. tend to always be between two and a half to three hours um, because this is when people were taking all the wrong lessons from the lord of the rings and they're saying oh lord of the rings could be like three and a half hours so clearly people were willing to sit through this and were like yeah but like you know it, it doesn't have to be that like lord of the rings has to be that long because of like it is based off these huge things you don't set out to make a three-hour movie with just just because just because you want it <laughs>
0: Yeah, I actually started this movie. So I did a, a rewatch yesterday just to get it fresh in my mind. Started it at about 10 o'clock thinking like, oh, you know, it's, a, it's two hours, right? It should be fine. And then I checked the actual runtime, and I was like, oh, oh, no. It's going to be a late <laughs> one.
1: Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Before we get started, we needed to give a reminder to our audience that you can always email your corresponding author, which is me, um, at artsunionscience at gmail.com, all one word with no caps. Uh, you can also find this podcast on Facebook, but not Twitter, because I'd probably have to commit seppuku if I ever partook in that particular form of social media, so intense would be the dishonor. Um, and probably with that, lose. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I have no regrets concerning it. Um And so with that, I think we can get into the episode proper. Uh, For those of you who are reviewing our episodes for the first time, our analysis follows the traditional sections present in a scientific paper, which means that we're going to start at the very beginning, a very good place to start, with the introduction. Section 1. Introduction. All right, the introduction. Introduction. Placing the film into context, the introduction section is a brief history of the film, both objective and subjective. We also start off with a little bit of a plot summary here, because we do not care if you haven't seen the film before. We're not really interested in the wants and whims of those who have yet to see the masterpiece that is The Last Samurai from 2000 and... What was this? Three? Two thousand and...
0: You know, I looked it up. It was 2003. Yeah. Okay. I was looking up on Hans Zimmer's um, anthology.
1: Oh, what a man. a man! What a it's myth. long. yeah he's been around (laughs) for a while (laughs) (laughs) all right so the plot summary that i have written for the last samurai goeth thusly so tom cruise is in all his long-haired ragged glory and he's been brought to japan in order to help train a new imperial army in modern warfare this is made more difficult by the troop of renegade samurai that continue to live in a bygone era just outside the walls of a quickly industrializing city during a skirmish with said old school brawlers, Tom Cruise is captured and taken back to their village. Despite his predicament as a, you know, captive, old Tommy boy befriends the village's leader and um, him deeply pref- uh, befriends the widow of a samurai he <laughs> himself killed. Slowly, he becomes enamored with the samurai code and a spiritual lifestyle that it produces. And even once he's been released and returned to the hustle and bustle of the big city... The cruiser, which I've just recently decided I'm going to start referring to him as, just can't remove the samurai that has been taken from his noggin. When it becomes clear that the Western-influenced government has no intention of letting their naysayer samurai live in peace, Tom Cruise joins up with the last of the samurai to do battle against the much better-outfitted Imperial army. Using some trickery, some fancy sword skills, and a whole lot of reckless abandon, the samurai are able to put up a good enough fight to invoke this empathy of their adversaries. While Tom Cruise is the only quote unquote samurai to make it out alive, their fighting spirit convinces the emperor to expel the poison from his council and hold true to the old ways. As Tom Cruise rides off into the distance towards more adventures of samurai-ness, I suppose. So that's the Samu- uh, the last samurai as I see it. It was released in 2003 to the tune of $450 million worldwide. Uh, considering its budget of $140 million, we are very much into profit with this one. On the critical side, things are doing all right, too, actually, with a 66% on the review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes with an end of around 222 critics. Uh, Regardless, there has been much discussion concerning the film over the past few years as its kind of tendency towards the white savior narrative and our, I guess, understanding of that as a common trope in uh, classic narratives has begun to form and fester with time. Like, if you think that, like, does this, does this make sense? Is like, should we keep it? Who knows? Because we're not really here to think about the objective history. We're here to get all subjective on this thing. So would you like to share a little bit about your subjective history about this? You were talking about how this is kind of one of those things that's become a classic for you because it was, it came out right in like the kind of when we were just getting old enough to be able to start watching movies like this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And um, I can't actually pin down the first time I watched the movie. I was definitely a teenager. I was definitely back home in Cornwall. Um, But it was very frequently on TV as well. So I would always, like, when it was on, make a point to watch it. And, um, you know, it's something I'll go back to every once in a while um, now that it's on good old Netflix
1: yeah this is another example of the uh, the shotgun assembly film for me the, that movie that's been on the, the movie channel for so long that I definitely saw the entirety of it but never really in one go I had to like assemble the film from all these small contigs of viewings I'm like okay now I think I've got the the whole of it um and eventually it did graduate into what I call like the movie score regular where I just like listened to the score by Hans Zimmer over and over again um, it'd just be like a good like writing sounds like soundscape to have on in the background
0: absolutely it's we can talk more about that further on in the pod but is is this like Hans Zimmer's best work is this his best score
1: it's hard to say because I think he has like he has a break kind of like pre and post Batman and when I say a break I don't mean like he took time off it's like, from Batman's like filmography, it seems like he never took any time off, but instead more like there seems to be this kind of transition similar to like a lot of the famous composers like Danny Elfman or John Williams of like before they worked with the director that they became most famous for working with. And then after it, and then, like Hans Zimmer, like once he starts working with Chris Nolan on the Batman movies, it's just like, it's like he completely shifts gears into like a lot less melody, more tonal, more kind of like deep bass and like, and percussion as opposed to like in these days where we're still doing like full melodies, we're still like mixing around. Like I would have been hard pressed to identify this as a Hans Zimmer score, um, without the, the names that pop up at the end, as opposed to like, you know, like post inception, whenever you hear the blah, you're like, okay, is this Hans Zimmer? Or is this a Hans Zimmer sound alike?
0: (laughs) He, you know what? I've never really thought about that. But as you were describing that kind of shift, um, couple movies are coming to mind so like you mentioned inception dark knight mm. um interstellar is another one yep oh yeah um so yeah it it's it's an all-star kind of um group of movies that he's been involved with so it would definitely be hard to pin, pin down like what the best one is but it for um for me personally the last samurai is one of my favorites
1: yeah, I think it's probably one of my. Favorite. It might be edged out in terms of his more melodic things. It might be edged out by *The Pirates of the Caribbean*. Um, for me, I I still think that's one of his best scores. Um, oh, but he's doing yeah. a lot of the same kind of, the same kind of stuff here, and I think there. As we will get into it later, but there are certain scenes that I think really like. If you take away the music, it just looks stupid. So
0: it's oh, interesting. I can't wait to hear.
1: All right. Well, with that in mind, speaking of things that are stupid, we should get into the next section of our, uh, like of our little thing called the materials and methods.
0: <laughs> section two: materials and methods. It's an integral <laughs> to the to the paper to the publication how will people replicate our work otherwise
1: well that's a good point because materials and methods is indeed a comprehensive guide to the equipment and methodology that we use to watch the movie and in theory the information given should be detailed enough to allow others to reproduce the results of our viewing experience how are others supposed to witness the majesty of tom cruise going at it samurai style in any other way than the ways that we did um it is it is a good question sean and i should not belittle the materials and methods our former supervisor would be very disappointed with oh absolutely i can hear him i can hear his anger um so, would you like to share? It's like, as like, I guess you've watched probably the last right? From my understanding, you must have watched this movie like three times in the last little bit. Two times, in two times.
0: So, I watched two it times, probably okay. like three weeks ago, maybe, and then just last night. um okay. but I'll, I'll go with last nights because I I made the I made a point of actually point by point writing some stuff down.
1: Ooh, look at you. Okay, yeah, said.
0: details, details in these materials and methods. Our our former supervisor would be very pleased put yourself in this situation it's 10 p.m (laughs) on a friday night after a long week of purifying protein so you watch this movie you pop it into your toshiba tv obviously (laughs) now alongside watching this movie you've got a hot slider from dave's hot chicken and a bone shaker ipa from amsterdam brewing And then beside you on a cat tree is a Balinese cat. Half watching, half looking out the window at the Toronto skyline.
1: That's pretty great. You you painted a wonderful picture. It's beautiful.
0: Painted a nice word picture for you.
1: You did. Yeah, I've got it right in my head.
0: Thanks. What about you?
1: All right, so I I went with a slightly different approach. So it's like for me, it's like picture this: paint. I'm gonna paint with my own my own brush here. It's like it's a Sunday morning, long weekend that was supposed to be spent back in your hometown, but was instead spent entirely in your apartment because you know COVID. Yes. Um, you approach the couch, you descend upon this degrading leather monstrosity at around 20 meters per second, and hit the kids, I like hit the cushions with the intention of not leaving for the next two and a half hours um you boot up netflix on your 42 inch lg tv the only way to watch things um is that because i'm not I'm not a heathen <laughs> shiba <laughs> and then you scroll to the last samurai instead of using the search function um cuz reasons stopping to look at movies along the way like oh yeah that movie oh yeah that movie and i managed to like not spend too long before i scrolled my way to the last samurai i kind of figured it would take forever to find the 2003 epic starring tom cruise that is much maligned in the but no netflix somehow knew i wanted it and had it very close to the top of my offerings
0: maybe because Um, we talked about it on the phone
1: that was probably why netflix just knew Yes, Um, exactly So he's like, uh, at this point you're going to, it's like, you have to forego any, any kind of like real food, but you do have 250 grams worth of Easter candy, specifically Cadbury chocolate eggs, just (laughs) sitting beside you in a bucket as nutritional media. Um, I would offer a more defined amount in terms of how many of those you, you ate, but really you don't want to know. So you stopped counting very quickly.
0: (laughs) It's better if I don't know.
1: It's better for me if I don't know um yeah so whether it's with cat this is like the the cat beside you staring out of the toronto skyline or you know the massive bucket of easter candy i think what we can all agree on is that if you're going to watch this thing make sure you get yourself comfortable really settle in there
0: it's a it's a slog
1: with yeah. um yeah.
0: and and the um just the format of it there's uh, there's a battle scene action sequence at the beginning of the movie, maybe like twenty five minutes in, and then there isn't a lot in terms of like action sequences until the back half till the near the end of the movie um so there's a long portion in in the middle, basically an entire winter in terms of the progression of the movie um where that is not happening and maybe keeping you uh riveted in that sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's, there's an interesting way that they spread out the action in this movie. And I think we can, we can definitely get into talking about that in our next section, which is the results and discussion. Section three, results and discussion. All right, results and discussion. So the results is the meat and potatoes of any scientific publication. It's where you actually present all your newly acquired data and the frameworks you use to analyze them. Meanwhile, the discussion is usually a separate section, which actually connects the like, movie analysis portion to as, like, to the outside world, answering and asking key questions about the m- place of this movie in the wider canon. Um, we like to take those two and just smush them together, mostly for the interest of time, but also because, you know, there are some journals that do it we're not weird yeah we're fine yeah. yeah yeah absolutely one of the ways that we are weird though is that we do tend to have our own homebrewed analysis models so these are the models that we actually use in order to be able to kind of frame our discussion and the one that we're going to be using today as chosen by our first author is actually a crowd favorite at the moment the lorenz's detractor model which is a good model if you're just in the mood for uh, for a chat it was named after Edward Norton Lorenz, a meteorologist and mathematician heralded as the father of chaos theory and his most popular offspring, the butterfly effect. This model for film analysis begins with a simple question. What did you think of the movie? From there, a combination of unknown variables, some external but most internal, take over, forging a free-form discussion of twists and turns beyond prediction. The starting question may be the same every time, but there's no telling where the conversation will be swept off to. And so, in keeping with our homebrewed analysis model, we have to take a second, deep breath in. Pay no attention to the... the, There's too many minds. Mind of the lamp, mind of the Ah. microphone, mind of the laptop. Too many minds. I see what you did there. No mind. And we have to ask the question, with your mind clear, John, what did you think of the movie? I mean, I definitely liked it. (laughs) That's good. Um, (laughs) it, It...
0: Maybe less than I originally did. Mm. in years past um just you know we alluded to this at the beginning of the podcast it um there's it's maybe a little problematic in the way that it's set up um and that kind of leaves the sour taste on what is otherwise like a well-directed well-acted beautiful score beautiful sceneries um movie that has a lot of the good things going for it
1: yeah, it is like a very pretty movie to look at. It's very yeah. pretty to listen to, and there are aspects of the story and the characters that really work for me. Um, I, th- is it, you know, you, you never want to really start with this, but I think we do need to address the the uh, giant ivory elephant in the room,
0: mm-hmm. which is
1: known as the white savior is like narrative. Um, it was mentioned briefly in our title. It's like we also brought it up a little bit during the um, the objective history aspect. Um,
0: yeah, well, I. I- I was hoping we would do this as well, just because I didn't want it to fall by the wayside. You know how we can kind of get caught up in while we're doing these podcasts and go on t- you know, different tangents, which I thoroughly enjoy. But I think we'd be remiss if this wasn't something that we discussed.
1: Yeah, the moment you see a poster that said, The Last Samurai, and it's just Tom Cruise's face. Okay. Everyone should take a step back and kind of sit there for, for a bit and go, huh. <laughs> Something's not right there.
0: (laughs) You know what's so funny? You mentioned that because, like, just before we started, like before I got on the call with you, I I wanted to look it up because I was like, "Am I imagining things about the poster?" There must be other posters, right? And I just, you know, I googled like the last samurai cinematic poster in Google Images, and you know how it'll give you like dozens and dozens and dozens of images. Well, the first, I don't know, like ten of them. There's only one that doesn't that has more than Tom Cruise in the poster. All the yeah. other ones are like, you know, it's his face or it's his him, it's him on horseback in Samura in the armor. Um, there's one that has him, uh Katsumoto, Taka, and um um Ujio. But that's the but that's one in the first ten. And, uh, okay, there's one other poster that has Tom Cruise. Behind him is Katsumoto, but that character is, like, shaded, so you can't really tell who it is. I can because I've seen the movie so many times. I know that that is Katsumoto. (laughs) But, yeah, it... I'm not really sure how that got greenlit.
1: It was a different time, and, like... So I was trying to think about this, you know, being the devil's advocate, I'm trying to think of what are what are the values that are added by having this story told through like Tom Cruise's lens. And I guess like, you know, it's the outsider's perspective. So which means that like you have like the ignorant, like center person who is discovering about the samurai code at the same time as the audience makes it easier for like a, a Western audience to get on board with, which, you know, is like the usual reason why they do this anyways because this is supposed to be for the white the white people to to get in board so we we're just going to drag them in through the through this aspect um it also means that you get this really cool kind of like character reveal of like the samurai and the way that when they first show up they're terrifying like that whole mm-hmm. sequence that takes place the there's like a battle scene that takes place in the woods when they first encounter them and they just hear them like screaming through the woods and then when they show up they're all got this like intense armor they appear out of nowhere it's like almost like demons and you get to have that slow reveal that like oh no like you go from that transition of like these people are like are terrifying to no 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 these people are like a they are very honorable individuals who are living their like the life that they have kind of like been handed down to them by their ancestors for generations Mm -hmm. so you do get that kind of like reveal which you wouldn't really get if you had set this from let's say like katsumoto's um perspective like you wouldn't kind of get that aspect all that to be said there is very little reason for why tom cruise needed to like his character needed to be a white guy like you could have done this with a young like uh, japanese is like person maybe one who had even even been sent away for a while and had to come as they came back to japan is like with like a different like a concept maybe one who was very into modernization and was really like excited about the prospect of what this was going to bring and was very against the idea of the samurai to start with like there's just ways that you can be able to like shift the story a little bit outside of the western lens into more of a kind of like an internal story for japan that i think wouldn't have gotten rid of any of these nice aspects that exist.
0: You know, it's the, that's exactly what I wanted to. That's how you answered the question I wanted to ask you because I have here starred in my notes. Like, what changes could you make to this movie to reduce or eliminate this um, white savior aspect from the movie?
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, was, like that's the only way I can think of doing it.
0: Yeah, and so I, you know, I was. Brainstorming a little bit, and I was trying to think of ways that, like, you could still have Nathan Algren slash Tom Cruise as the the protagonist, but maybe scale back his importance in the events of the movie. Like, he's, in the back half of the movie, he's portrayed, or he's he becomes this, like, close confidant of Katsumoto, and he's heavily involved with their plan, their military plans and stuff like that. And that kind of leads into the, um, The white savior aspect of the movie Mm -hmm. right Right. like he like he's riding in on a on a horse to save the day and save the samurai like they couldn't do them do it themselves Mm -hmm. um so i wondered if you could just like scale that back where he's involved and participates but he's not the main focus if the main focus is kept on the samurai yeah
1: Um, like you could do it in a way where it's like where you don't have necessarily a warrior that comes in from the from the West, you could have like, what's his name? Like Peter Pettigrew, Wormtail's character. Yes. (laughs) What if he he got captured? Like if he got captured, then like, you know, he's not going to be able to save them from themselves in any way, shape or form, like with like warrior traits, stuff like that, but he can still be an observer and then like really shine a light on this aspect of it. So that's another way you could do it.
0: Yeah, but I really liked the idea that you had, where like maybe it's a, a person of Japanese descent who is more, uh, whether he was raised that way, or um, or whatnot, he's just on the side of the um, the modernization movement mm-hmm. in Japan, and yeah. then gets captured and then like sees the way of the samurai. Like that would be that that solves a lot of the problems right there.
1: Yeah. Now there are so an interesting thing that i was kind of reading about is like despite the the white savior thing being the most obvious kind of like red flag of like hey there are some problems with this movie the concept itself is also a little bit like interesting because it's very highly romanticizes like the samurai lifestyle which is a common thing in the west but also in the is like in the east like samurais (laughs) have been like a source of much mythology for a good long while um the truth being though that like the vast like while they were obviously good like uh, like nice decent noble samurai they were also like less so because the samurai were effectively like a a warrior caste they were a upper echelon of society that were given like complete and like overarching control over the people below them and a large part of the reason why a lot of samurai fought against modernization was nothing to do with honor or their as like or their emperor or like their ancestors but it was completely to do with the fact that they didn't want to succeed power to these like you know these non-samurai these like peons these people who were like rising up through the ranks and so it also kind of like makes it difficult to the to imagine a story in which like because I, i have a hard time believing that any of the like the samurai would have would have um spared the life of any of the japanese soldiers and brought them back to their village and been like look at our way of life because as far as they're concerned, like they're of a lower caste. The only reason maybe in a lot of ways why Nathan was treated the way he was is because he was an oddity, a foreigner, someone who was outside their caste system entirely. And so therefore they could treat him as even an equal at some point. And I'm not sure how that would have really translated if it wasn't a um, quote-unquote white savior coming in from say from afar.
0: Hmm. Interesting. You know what I as I was watching this movie and just trying to like delve a little bit into like this historical context um maybe realize that this is like a i would like to know more about the history surrounding this movie i know these particular events are not real it's a fictional movie but um there was a period in japan of modernization and a shift from these traditional ways and it would be i would like to learn more about that
1: yeah yeah. I think it's a very complicated time in history is like one that I am not especially well versed in and one that would argue that maybe the director of this movie, Edward Zwick might not have been a hundred percent well versed in either. Um, or at least didn't care to showcase a lot of the complexities of it because he was more interested in kind of this like epic and creating a more simple narrative of like modern, bad, like, um, old ways, good, um, and uh, you know, like you got to do what you're going to do at certain points. Like, you, like you have to change history in order to be able to set the narrative right. Um, have you ever seen any other movies? Like movies by this director? He has like not the largest like a filmography in the world, but he has done a lot of other big movies.
0: I actually haven't. Um, did he direct
1: Glory? He did. He did. Mm-hmm. And I actually had never seen Glory until it was like um, this podcast. Because I decided I would watch it because so I was like. Really? He also directed another famous White Savior movie. <laughs> Alright. With...
0: Yeah, so what's up with that?
1: Yeah, it was like Glory was like a Civil War um movie starring Matthew Broderick as a um leader of a all-black regiment, it was like a for the Union Army. Um within that all black regiment was uh Morgan Freeman's uh, character as well as Denzel Washington's character, as well as Captain Holt. Raymond. Raymond Holt oh. Raymond Holt's back <laughs> um yeah the is like denzel's performance was actually uh awarded a uh best supporting oscar um it's like um for for his work in that one and it's actually based that one unlike the last samurai is based on actual events with actual people at least matthew broderick's character is an actual person he was an actual head of this as like set up and so people gave a little bit more like of a um you know, he gives a little bit like less flack for glory because like, yeah, even though it was still very much a kind of like this aspect of like, oh yeah, we're going to, it's like, this is a story about black pride. We're going to focus almost like really heavily on this white dude. It's mm-hmm. like, as a kind of a thing still at the same time, at least this is like historically sound. This is a thing that actually happened. This guy actually did fight to, like, to keep this like to like gain quote unquote glory for his, for his troops is like, um, and it was, this group of all black is like um, soldiers that actually did pave the way for more is like um, similar regiments is like with their valor is like. And so then is like, it's thought that really the introduction of like of uh, black soldiers into the union army was a massive turning point for the war is like that actually shifted it in the union's favor. Um, But it's just funny to me that this movie that is still like about this thing that he's obviously passionate about but like needs to center this white dude. And then he went and did it again, like some 10 years later. <laughs> it's, it's a weird pattern to have, right? Yeah. Yeah. I... Yeah. It's it's just kind of like, why are you, why is this your thing, man? <laughs> why why is this your thing? That's not a
0: good thing. That's not a good thing to be your thing.
1: No, no. And there were like, there are actual like key ripoffs from the last samurai that are just totally ripping off scenes from glory. Like, the scene where Tom Cruise is trying to train the soldiers and he was trying to prove that they're not ready. So he he's like, he's like basically tells the Japanese soldier to shoot him. Yes, and he's kind yeah. of like, he's got the pistol and he's shooting it at the soldier to try and showcase how in the heat of battle, like the reloading portion, he's just, he's not getting it. Like he can't do it. is like, he might be a good shot when he's not getting shot at, but as soon as like stress builds up and they have that, almost an exact scene like that in glory as well with Matthew Broderick doing that to one of the recruits. Um, there are, is like a lot of other so There's also a, uh, a grumpy Irish sergeant. What? In, like in, uh Yeah, in glory. <laughs> um, there is a uh, written voiceover, as in like there's voiceover, but that's actually just like written letters by the lead white character about what he's seeing. Uh, and there's also a battle near the end that is lost in order to, but, uh, but it wins the war sort of thing um so he's he's pulling from his uh his big success pretty hard here with the last samurai to uh, diminishing returns
0: interesting i wonder if there was kind of like a when he was approached to maybe direct the movie there was like could you do what you did in glory but do it for this movie
1: maybe you should just do glory you you remember glory you you did well with that
0: (laughs) um which i guess like you know directors do have a stamp that they put on movies right like i'm just the first one that came to mind is like Taiko Watiti has like a very like specific um, feel to a lot of the movies he puts on, right? Like a lot of them are wacky and zany um, and very hilarious. Um, that's a much better thing to be your thing.
1: Well, yeah. And <laughs> as much as I like to give Edwards wick a little bit of like, like flack for his like two biggest movies being white savior movies, it has to be said that the man is very good at directing these big epics. Like, Glory was only his second film, his first one being like a romantic comedy. And then he went from that into like this probably the biggest Civil War movie that's ever been made. And it's like, um, with just like huge armies and fighting and cannons and explosions and horses. It's just, it's such a big undertaking. And, um, and he pulled it off really well. Like, Glory is a much beloved film. I made, I was listening to a lot of different. Takes on it is like, um, there's a YouTuber named uh, it's like called Melverse that does like, um, kind of like watch throughs and in order to get like kind of his like uh, immediate responses as he's going through. There's a podcast called Black Man Ch- Can't Jump in Hollywood that did an episode on it, and they're all talking about how it's like you know, it's just a really well made movie. And then there'll be that pause, of, but why does it have to be about Matthew Broderick though? And I feel yeah. like it's a <laughs> yes. very similar thing to this,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess like. You know, if I had to offer one more thought on it, it's just like, you know, big disclaimer, like we are both two white men. There are other people that are better equipped to address this who, mm-hmm. you know, who are have a better perspective because they are um, of Japanese descent, right? Mm-hmm. But I think we could still be critical of this movie and say that, you know, I could honestly say, like, if I was, if that were my culture and I was watching this movie, and it had to have Tom Cruise as the main character, and he's the only person on the poster. Like, I would honestly be offended.
1: Yeah, I, that's fair like, to say. I think it's fair to say, and it wouldn't it wouldn't be so bad if this was like the only movie like this. It would if it was like a fun little like anomaly. Like, <laughs> remember the time that Tom Cruise thought he was a samurai? We're like, oh, that man is weird. But the fact that it's like you know, it is like there's so many like dances with wolves. The Great Wall with Matt Damon, which is like which is like a Chinese film. Oh yeah, the, the glory. Even like something like To Kill a Mockingbird, which is like you know a, like a famous story and absolutely beloved in so many ways, and it's like a modern classic. Like I won't be able to touch it. At the same time, it is a movie about race divides from the perspective of this like white girl who's like, it just sucks that we can't all get along. And we're like, yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> Did so like you all to see all those movies? It? Yeah. If all those movies didn't exist, then this movie could could get by and we would just be kind of like a fun little like okay, whatever. But like because it is falling into a much larger narrative of kind of how Hollywood has an interest in kind of marketing is like to showcase these other cultures, but they feel like the only way to really do that is to put a white person in the center and then have him be good or better than the other people at this thing so that people can be like they can accept the culture but they can also be like but it's okay because i get to live through this guy who's the best at it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and um you know i was gonna say like you know are quite a few of these movies we're listing off are older you know like mm-hmm. last samurai was released in 2003 but the the what was the um, was the movie you just listed that had matt damon in it the, the wall. great wall <laughs> the great wall that's not an old movie
1: no it's no it's it's pretty new it's actually done by a director that i talked about on this uh is, like on this podcast before uh zhang yi mo um who is like is like a famous like chinese director he's like who he did like red sorghum and uh is like and hero is like all these like really like uh, the house of flying daggers like all these really famous like uh, chinese films and then he, yeah, he wanted to do this film. And so I feel bad for Matt Damon because he like signed on for this He's like, oh, I'm so excited to work with this director. This is going to be great. And then as he's like going through, there's like a great interview that he did with Mark Maron on the What WTF podcast where he's talking about the realization slowly that like, oh no, I'm in a white savior. Hollywood oh, no. movie." <laughs> the kind of like slow realization of like, oh no, what have I done?
0: You know what? I haven't. I've never considered that before like from the actor's perspective like Matt Damon realizing like oh like maybe that's not how it was like pitched to him and he's realizing as the like as it's being shot or as he's reading the script like oh no I've already signed on to this thing.
1: Well, yeah was, i think he just he wanted to work with his director like he's a famous director so he just he's like he thought oh this will be great and he's like this the kind of recognition he tells he tells a great story about how his daughter whenever she's trying to like take the wind out of his sails will like bring up the great wall just to like <laughs> make fun of him and she's talking about was like she's like dad how what, how can you even say that you were in the wall and He's like, it's called the great wall she's like there was nothing great about that movie <laughs> 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 I'd highly recommend seeking out that interview. It's it's quite funny, actually.
0: <laughs> I will. That sounds great.
1: I'm sure it's on YouTube.
0: Oh, yes. So, so I wonder if, like, did Tom Cruise have a similar...
1: Experience, it's a, it's a good question. It's
0: tough to say, right? Like only he knows, I guess.
1: only he knows. And this might be a good time to start talking a little bit about the um the eye of the storm that is the last samurai because we we do spend a lot of time with Tom Cruise in this movie. And I must say that um my my wife, who hates tom Cruise, she she absolutely despises him as a performer, knows nothing about him as a person. but you know, as a as a performer, she's not not his biggest fan. She came away from this movie afterwards saying, I must say it's the best I've seen Tom Cruise in a long time. And I'm like, that's big. This is big for Tommy boy.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, uh, as we do the conclusion for this podcast, um, I've chosen, like, as my gauges, like, what are Tom Cruise's top roles and what are his worst roles and where does this fall? So more on that later. But yeah, like, I, I thought this was a good performance from him. Like, he had a role here where he's playing a you know a, a soldier and a decorated war hero who is was like a deeply deeply troubled person clearly suffering from um you know post-traumatic stress depression he alcoholism um and there's you know i'm thinking of this one scene where they're um he is talking. I don't know the actor's name. All I know him as is Peter Pettigrew. Unfortunately, that's all I know him as um, too. <laughs> um, so it's when he's describing being scalped to Peter mm. Pettigrew, as I'll yeah. continue to call him. Um, but in that scene, like I'm watching him, and like they, I don't know how they did this with like in makeup, but like his face is flushed, his eyes are all glassy. Uh, he very clearly looks like he's drunk and he looks like that for uh, quite a few scenes in the start of the movie mm-hmm. and i think he yep. played that quite well
1: yeah it's for me it's interesting that tom cruise is kind of like he's like a uh he's not a um an all he's not like something like a hammer which can be used for many different things he's a precision tool he is used for like he's like he has his uses in very specific kind of roles and i find that whenever he's out of one of those roles i have a hard time buying him One of the things that I think he's really good at is being the kind of like disillusioned orator, the guy who's like really good at performance, but obviously doesn't believe a single thing he's saying. (laughs) He was really good in Magnolia as that. And he's good here too, in this like opening scene where he's got like the Winchester and like he's drunk as a skunk and is supposed to be trying to like showcase to like get everyone to buy war bonds and buy like Winchesters and all this sort of stuff. But he clearly just doesn't believe a single thing he's saying. <laughs> and he did really well in that, in that opening that sequence and also got probably one of the coolest lines in the movie, which is the, when he's talking to the the um, Lieutenant Colonel that he hates the um, talking about that. You want me to kill these people? Fine. I'll kill these people. You want me to kill these people? Sure. I'll kill these people for $500 a month. I will kill whoever you want, but just remember, I would gladly kill you for free, <laughs> and it's Great. an amazing Mike line. <laughs> what a what a power move! What a power! What move. a
0: mic drop of a sentence! <laughs> How do you even like continue working together?
1: I, like after that. that, like what what is your relationship? Is it hard to be like? cool okay well uh, there's no um
0: having lunch together at the office <laughs> after that there's no water cooler chit chat when this person was like i would kill you for no money
1: you like literally just give me an opportunity <laughs> Uh yeah it's like there are, and so you know i think he's at his best when he's like steely-eyed tom cruise or when he's kind of like just not buying a word he's saying sort of thing but he also has some comedic chops like it's fun like his back and forth with bob the the samurai yeah. in charge of guarding him and he's just talking to him like well, thank you for looking out for me the other day bob can i call you bob I, you might have call calling this
0: i knew a bob once god he was ugly
1: oh <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. yeah yeah man.
0: just a dry like i've been remiss i didn't thank you for your help yesterday <laughs>
1: so good like, like those, those moments right like he's he wasn't in too many like straight up comedies but i do think that actually one of my favorite performances of tom cruise was a movie called night and day which is like a, like a romantic like comedy action movie with him and cameron diaz where he's actually just pretty funny in it like it, but it's also at the same time like he's the character is kind of slightly deranged you don't really feel like you can trust anything he's saying it's like it just um he he's good at that and he's like he's able to really pull that off well
0: <laughs> he's got some funny scenes too in uh jerry Maguire as well oh yeah yeah
1: oh yeah oh yeah jerry Maguire. <laughs> um but of course like tom cruise isn't the only actor in this movie despite the fact that the posters really want you to think that um so i think we have to put us put some time aside if we're going to talk come back to tom cruise in the conclusion we got to give ken watanabe his due as um katsumoto the uh the head of the samurai the actual first character we see in this movie after the kind of strange like british guy talking about the beginning of japan which is like right from the beginning you're like this isn't a good look <laughs> like,
0: oh yeah why is, it's it, why is the narrator
1: off... a british Dune? <laughs>
0: yes no again
1: yeah, again but Un- then, we, then we go straight into problematic. Like... Oh, yeah. But then, but then after that, we go straight into, like, Katsumoto having this kind of, like, vision of this tiger in the center of a group of samurai, like, and the tiger fighting back against them. Um, and, like, right from the beginning, when you see, like, I, this was the first time I ever saw Ken Watanabe in a, in a movie. Um, when I first saw it way back in um, 2000, probably saw it in, two, like, didn't see it in 2003, probably, like, 2004 or five, But... Every time he shows up in any movie afterwards, I'm always immediately on guard because he does such a good job in this. He's like he's so good, so I'm like, moment I see him, I'm like, hey, I'm in good hands, it's Ken, my old buddy.
0: Yeah, I've got, I have a, I'm looking at my notes here, and I've got Ken Watanabe. Single note after that, and it just says incredible, <laughs> incredible <laughs> performance. Like that's all that needed to be written for me. Like fantastic, <laughs> like tom cruise was great katsumoto was my favorite character in this movie amazing um performance
1: yeah and he he sells it all like well tom cruise i don't think really sells there's certain aspects of tom cruise's performance that i don't really buy here like the zen portion of tom cruise where he's just like i have become enlightened i'm like i don't buy that for some yeah. reason yeah but then for katsumoto i be, i believe everything whether he's like unsure of his actions whether when he's sad that his son has died when he's playfully like ed, like ribbing like tom cruise or, like when he keeps on trying to have a conversation with him and then tom cruise keeps on like getting angry but he's bringing up like things that are like traumatic to him and at one point is like Tom is like do people in your country not like having conversations <laughs> it's just it's so good he's great in all of those kind of different different modes
0: yeah um and in action sequences as well like in the battle scenes there's one um there's one part where katsumoto just lets out this like battle cry and i every time i see it, i'm like whoa oh my
1: gosh <laughs> i believe Sage. you i believe you <laughs> yeah. that
0: you're like going to kill me Yep. Yeah. whereas like i don't know tom cruise is fine in the action sequences but like there's nothing like that <laughs>
1: He doesn't have the the ferocity to it. There's yes. this kind of like feeling like, like it's, especially it's weird because you see this man who is like, and he has to try and like, kind of like Katsumoto has to kind of keep these two like strange things that seem opposite to us, but like keep them together in one character. The idea of like the tranquility, the person like kneeling before in a Buddhist temple, like the person who like, can be very calm and collected and playful and then at the same time, you, that has to be the same person that, yeah, when he's like, he cuts off a like Japanese general's head and lets, has this, lets out the scream before he does so. Mm-hmm. They need to be the same person and they need to feel like they're the same person. And somehow they do. And that's pretty impressive.
0: Oh, absolutely. Elite performance. Elite performance.
1: And one that I feel like... Uh, Zwick must have known he was going to lean into. If we had done the Baker's elemental minimization model, it's like the scene I would have chosen is actually the scene in the um the cherry blossom gardens between mm. Tom Cruise and Katsumoto, because there's a part where it's like Ken Watanabe is just he's leaning into this performance of like talking about how like you know he has nightmares, he has things, but then he comes to this place. And he thinks about his ancestors before him and he finds this kind of like calmness. And as he's talking, the camera does this kind of like slow, like kind of rotation around him as he's turning away from it. It creates this parallax moment. And that shot is used exclusively, like not exclusively, but intensively by Michael Bay. Um, Have you ever heard of the Michael Bay shot?
0: No. What is that? It like,
1: so the the Michael Bay shot is usually like in its most intense is that a person will be standing up. It's like slowly and kind of turning to their left is like in looking into the middle distance. And as they're turning to the left, the camera is, is like below them and rotating around them in the opposite direction. So it makes the, like, it gives you the sense of what they call parallax. Like, it makes the background look like it's rotating really quickly, even though the two things are moving, like, very slowly around each other. So it gives this kind of, like, the world revolving around this person. The fact that the person's standing up, and the camera's below them, makes them look incredibly powerful. It's in, like, Bad Boys 2. It's in Pain and Gain. It's in all of these type of movies. And edwardswick kind of gives a very like low-key much slower less intense version of that to ken watanabe in the scene where he's turning to the left looking up at the cherry blossoms as the camera is slightly below him and shifting in the opposite direction and i'm just looking at him like did you just michael bay ken watanabe I'm like, <laughs> like okay but i'll give that... it to you it's pretty cool
0: <laughs> but does that predate the michael bay movies
1: no so this is 2003 so bad boys is like in bad boys well like at least no, Bad Boys Two came out the same year, two thousand three, mm, okay. and so the first Bad Boys came out before it. Um, but you're right; maybe it wasn't known as his mainstay yet at this stage.
0: Maybe it just be- became Michael Bay's shtick, like his thing after like repeated use in a
1: lot of these movies. Who knows? But maybe they got it from Zwick. Maybe he was yeah. looking, watching Last Samurai, and say like, "I bet I can do that God. better, faster, more intense."
0: <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: In every movie. <laughs> forever and for always
0: (laughs) Uh, that is a great scene honestly yeah
1: yeah i always enjoy their it's like i enjoy their conversations they get their their back and forth conversations they are a lot of fun me too yeah but of course it can't all be conversation because this is indeed an epic so we do have to have battle scenes we have to have action we have to have fights um And there are quite a few as you said they're kind of like strangely paced throughout the movie because there's one very close to the beginning there's a whole lot of nothing. then there's like a shinobi or like ninja attack on the um it's like on the camp which is like the next big action scene and then there's some like more like kind of small hand-to-hand fights between like tom cruise and like and other people who are trying to kill him between like the samurai they're trying to leave the leave the big city and stuff like that and then we get to like the big action like fight which like the two towers, Lord of the Rings pretty much made it so that like if you're going to make an epic now, you need to have a big fight scene at the end. Helm's Deep, set the tone. We're all doing this now. Yes, of course. Yeah. And so I my, I guess my question for you is kind of looking through and like which of those kind of like fight scenes really worked for you in terms of the battles or the individual fights. Um, and then after that, we have to have a, a serious conversation where we need to figure out what are the different parts that need to be in a big battle scene so that we can tell the people in the future, this is what you need, follow this checklist, and you'll make yourself a put a good, decent, big battle. Um, but before that, what was your favorite of the action scenes?
0: You know what? Actually, one of my one scenes when I was preparing for a, a Baker model, um, but then realized I had four... Yeah, I'm counting four in my notes here and then decide we should just go with Lorenz's model. Um, But one of my scenes is that first battle. So that's where Mm, uh, Nathan Algren, he leads a far superior force against the samurai because the samurai have just attacked um, the Japanese government's railroad system. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he goes into the wilderness, meets with the samurai, and then proceeds to get shit kicked by the samurai. Mm-hmm. like It's <laughs> not even close. Uh Clearly the soldiers were not ready, as he predicted. But what stuck out about this, so this is your first time seeing the samurai in action, right? We've heard about yep. them, they've been talked about, they've been described as formidable warriors, but they've also been described as, you know, they are no longer using firearms. So they are fighting with spears and swords and bows and arrows against soldiers that have guns so you hear that and you're immediately like oh well that doesn't sound like much of a much of a competition like it seems like the soldiers with guns would win Mm single-handedly and then the battle happens and you are like oh no like they are actual soldiers they're actual warriors so it's not really a competition and it reminded me of a really a battle scene from the movie 300 which like I still think about sometimes where it's the first battle and it's like maybe 40 minutes into the movie mm-hmm. you haven't seen them in action yet and it starts out so the the 300 Spartans against the Persian army that's like vast and seemingly endless and it starts out as any other battle there's a charge they're um they meet in the middle there's um you know the Persians are pushing against the Spartan soldiers And then Leonidas just yells, like, now. And then they stop and then just, like, push them back. Spears come out, and they just, like, keep doing that over and over systematically. And that's, like, one battle scene that always stuck out to me because I was like, oh, this isn't like most battle scenes. Like, they are clearly better and clearly kicking the butts of these Persian soldiers. Um, And there's a line from that where, Uh, They only brought 300 soldiers. Um, They meet up with another group of um, Greeks who brought, like, way more people. And they're like, Leonidas, what's going on? You only brought 300 people. Like, how come you didn't, like, bring more soldiers? And he ends up saying, see old friend, I brought more soldiers than you did because, like, my people are actually trained professional warriors. And you see that in this movie as well where Nathan Algren brings this... um, Group of soldiers, but they haven't been properly trained yet. They're not ready. They crack under the pressure, and the line folds mm-hmm. uh, against this. You know, much better trained force. So I really liked that uh, battle scene. I think it just like set the tone and like introduced the samurai as like, oh, they're much more formidable than I thought they would be.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's it's one of those situations of just kind of like how it kind of convinces you. That having guns isn't really useful here, in the way that like you're you've got them and they're holding the line, and then someone starts shooting too soon, and then they all start shooting, and none of the samurai are going down, and it's this feeling of like they're getting closer. You've all like you've all already shot. It's like now you need to reload. I'm like oh no. And then I've what I've discovered from this is that. Whenever a commanding officer screams "fire at will," it's not a good sign. No,
0: I noticed that too last night during the watch. I was like, "Oh, that means everything's gone completely off the rails."
1: Yeah, it's like I'm thinking about. It, I'm like, it happens in Glory at one point where they start just screaming to fire at will because the people are getting too close. It's like, it happens in the Lord of the Rings, the the Return of the King, when the Rohirrim are riding in on the orcs, and then the orcs eventually get it's like just like fire at will, just go. It's like there comes a certain point where it's like. We've lost control here. All we can do is just start firing madly. And I'm like, if you ever so word to the wise, if you ever hear a commanding officer scream, fire at will, you might just want to turn tail and run.
0: <laughs> Which I think most of them did
1: in this particular yep. battle. They um, did.
0: Yeah, an interesting view of like how if you don't have battle hardened soldiers and you get to the actual battle, um, you know, someone who's not trained or not experienced the line will not hold. Yeah, good battle. What about you?
1: Yeah, well, I like, that one, I think, is probably my favorite as well. It's, like, it's just so atmospheric. It has, like, the fog, the dark lighting, yeah, like everything that I would really want from it. Something I kind of found throughout this is that this director and the cinematographer are really good at capturing chaos, and the chaos of a big battle is kind of, like, the the maximum amount of chaos you can have. There's so much happening. There's so much death and destruction and they're really good at being able to make you feel like what is happening um but then the problem is that that kind of carries over to some of the one-on-one or like smaller people battles as well with like the really fast editing where there's a certain point where i'm just like i can't really tell like that scene where tom cruise takes on i think like four people in the like city streets of tokyo at night they play it through twice Once at regular speed, once in slow motion, and I still can't really figure out what happened there. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that was cut in a weird way, where you're missing like big chunks of the movements.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I didn't like that. So I don't really like the smaller battles. The only small like one on one battle that I actually like is the um, the fight in the rain between like Tom Cruise and that um, the samurai who's kind of unhappy that he's there and they're just fighting with wooden swords. And like Tom Cruise just gets like wrecked. He gets like, <laughs> it's like a, uh, he, he takes like heart, like a hardwood stick to the head, like three or four times.
0: Yeah. And that's, it's got kind of like a I I can do this all day kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, that's my, that's another one of my one scenes. Um, yep. That one has kind of like a, it, it, there's a big audience, right? Like the whole village mm-hmm. is watching mm-hmm. and t- I was reflecting on it last night when I was watching it. It kind of seems like there's almost like a cathartic element because like it's known that he killed at least one person um, yeah. that they know, um, uh, Taka's husband.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so it, it almost felt like, like nobody's stepping in to stop anything. Everyone's just kind of silently watching. And so it felt like there was a cathartic element, like the... It's helping this community to watch Tom Cruise get beat up.
1: I hadn't considered that as a possibility, but you're you're very right. It could very much be they're just kind of like it's like for me, I kind of read it as like the moment where they start to get on his side like because they're kind of like watching this person that they don't like that they're they all maybe thought that they wouldn't mind like a chance to smack him in the head with something, and they're watching how he just keeps getting up again and keeps getting beaten down. And I think there is like a begrudging respect that, that kind of like comes from them. Even the guy who's smashing him in the head over and over again with the club, there's the moment where he's like Tom Cruise is on his knees holding on to this sword, and the samurai goes to pull the sword out of his hand and Tom Cruise doesn't let go, even though he's like barely conscious. And then you can see like a little bit of like begrudging respect of like, okay. And then smacks him upside the head and <laughs> takes the stick. <laughs> um
0: um quick notes so that character, Ugio, um mm-hmm. I believe the actor's name is Hiroyuki Sanada. yeah Yep, another great performance in this movie. So good. Um, he kind of has the role in this movie of like I. Whereas Katsumoto kind of treats Nathan Ogren with kind of like um, he's curious about him. He wants to know more about him and like his enemy. For Ujio, it's just like I don't know you. I don't like you. Yep, and it takes a while to for him to for Nathan to win him over.
1: Yeah, and he also has like one of the most badass moments in the movie where he gets shot through the stomach near the end of the movie and just oh. keeps going. <laughs> yeah. And there's like a there's a part near the end where like Lauren was kind of like looking in and out at and once she sees him near the end where his hair is all over the place, he's got blood all over his face and like this man, and she's like, "Oh my god, what is wrong with that man?" I'm like, "Oh, he just got shot in the stomach and he's still he's just running on adrenaline right now." <laughs>
0: No he was he he really shone during those uh, battle scenes as
1: well, definitely, definitely. he's he's like he's great. Um, yeah, so I guess then we should probably then is like turn to talking about the actual like big battle, the stuff <laughs> that comes near the end, which I in my notes I had called um carnage Incarnate. um because there's a lot of there's a lot of shots in this that I have no idea how they got them without killing horses
0: yeah because there's a lot of like cannon fire explosions and stuff like that um i also don't know how they did that
1: no they like got so many horses like that's what i was telling like you know there are horses that are trained to fall over like they know they're like movie stunt horses that they're designed to like fall over and be able to get back up so like that is definitely a thing but there's some moments in this where i'm like Uh, how did you what how are the, how is how like how did the person not die how did the horse is not dead how is like i'm sure we would have heard something if like the, the humane society logo is at the end of this thing So, like.
0: and also like well i'm thinking of the the there's that final charge where then the the machine gun fire starts and like mm-hmm. all the people on horseback like all the four horses just fall yeah. and the people on them and you know i've never ridden a horse but I mm-hmm. I would imagine that like that's a pretty you're you're at a pretty big risk of like breaking your leg if oh, yeah. you and the horse fall over, right? Because the horse is mm-hmm. like a massive being and very heavy. Um so I'm like if, uh, there must have been a lot of like stunt doubles working on those scenes because like I think you gotta be real careful that like a the horse doesn't get uh injured by falling, but also the actor on top of the horse also doesn't like break their leg by yeah, being fallen on by a horse.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's I don't I don't know how they did it. Um, it looks very impressive. Yeah, it's a, it's a. It's and it's definitely one of my one of my big things about my list of parts of a decent big battle scene. Um, you need to have kind of like you need to capture the mayhem, and I think having mm-hmm. shots of just people flying all over the place, explosions constantly, horses falling over and freaking out is like is um i think is one of the best ways to do that and cutting between them really quickly so it you just kind of captures the idea that is like how does anyone survive this like how do you even know what's going on you
0: know what was interesting about that battle too was kind of related to that how does everyone know what's going on there was some um very specific work with like not flags but like signage mm-hmm. with different yep. symbols um that's kind of directing people to move in certain directions and carry out certain tasks which yeah i i don't think i've seen that in a lot of other battle scenes
1: no a lot of times people will just yell and i'm like i don't think i don't think they'll hear you
0: yeah no (laughs) i agree i agree so i think this is probably more like true to form on how you would coordinate a battle
1: yeah yeah definitely um Another important thing in any big battle scenes is despite the fact that you have to have, like, mayhem all, all over the place, you also have to have, like, signature moments of brutality. Like, individual shots that just kind of, like, that are even there for only a second, they make you go, ooh, and then, like, carry on. There's a scene in this battle scene where where a, like, Imperial soldier goes to block Tom Cruise's samurai sword by putting his rifle up, and the sword goes right through it and, like, slash, slashes through the guy's face, And it's like, it's only there for a second. I'm like, oh, like jump back. It's like, and it sticks with you. It like, it changes your feeling is like in that moment of just looking at these people dying all over the place, you kind of get desensitized to it. You need those little spikes of just pure like, oh, God, no, in order to be able to really get you back into it.
0: Yeah, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm realizing as we're having this conversation that I've like, seen this movie a lot, because I can picture each of these scenes in my head. (laughs) it's like oh i've seen this a lot i have it committed to memory another one that stands out to me is like a i don't know why this like turns my stomach a little bit when i'm watching it but like there's one point where i think it's nathan's character stabs with his sword and usually like it would be like front to back like through the person's body but this is like shoulder to shoulder Ooh. kind of in the like um lung throat area and every time i see it i'm like oh god that must be (laughs) painful
1: i don't like that at
0: all don't like that (laughs) glad it's not me
1: exactly um in in keeping with that also it's important to actually try and keep track of the characters in these giant battles as well as their demises like when they actually die um because when you think about it you're going in on both sides and you have to have, like, know- knowable characters on kind of both ends, usually. So you'll have, like, the good guys in this case, they have, you know, there's Tom Cruise, the Katsumoto, it's like, there's, like, maybe, like, three or four other samurai that we kind of, like, know by face, if not name, including Bob, who also dies, which is very sad. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and then uh, on the other side, you have, like, the you only really know the higher-ups, you know um like the lead like american general or colonel or whatever he is you know uh the um kind of like power greedy modernist Mm -hmm. and then you also have like the once lieutenant now higher up who was like who was kind of like always been just kind of in the background oh yeah he was
0: he seemed like a nice guy like he seemed like a nice guy he he was (laughs) he seemed like he was friends with um with nathan before he got captured yeah or at least like respected him and stuff and he always kind of like seemed to me like he was um he was just like a just following orders kind of guy and like thinks he's doing the right thing like he joined the join the military to fight for his country and you can see in that final scene where he's like where they're everyone's getting shot by the machine gun fire like he's like emotionally moved by it even mm-hmm. though he's on the other side <laughs>
1: yeah yeah you can see that that he's like yeah he's you don't know anything about him except for like the few reaction shots you get from him of stuff and just from that you get the feeling same as you said like oh he seems nice
0: (laughs) in in that first battle everyone's turning and running including him because like i don't know everybody else is he's not just gonna stand there yeah but there's this moment where he turns back and he sees nathan Algren like continuing to fight and there's kind of like a should i help him but also i don't want to die so i'm gonna keep running
1: so i'm just gonna go (laughs) i'm I'm just gonna i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna i'm just gonna gonna uh yeah yeah well and it's the one thing that kind of this battle is really one of the few things that this battle is kind of missing for me is that we don't have a lot of recognizable like combat people on the enemy side so like it's it's you get to a point where like they send in a ridiculous number of faceless soldiers to go and just like die on the other side all in the same uniform. And you have, you have to get to the point where you're kind of like, okay, how many more times can I see you stab an Imperial army soldier? Like this, this battle while big and like in impressive and very like intense, its duration was a little bit long. Like it got to a certain point (laughs) that I'm like, Yes. I can't see any more like I've just you've lost me. You can't you it doesn't matter what you do anymore. You show Tom Cruise stabbing whoever you, through whatever anymore. It's just I've I've lost it now.
0: <laughs> no, I would be interested to see the runtime of that final battle scene because it definitely goes on. It, and there's, it takes a while. And there's even like an interlude in between yeah. where they like there's the first wave, they win that, suffer losses. More come. I think they also win that, suffer more losses, and then there's the final charge.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But there's like these interludes, kind of where there's conversation in between the waves of incoming faceless soldiers, and like I feel like that kind of it, it, it definitely dragged it on and made it feel maybe a little bit disjointed to me. Yeah, I'm not really sure why I think that, but I'm just thinking of other like battle scenes for movies where it's kind of like a one and done action sequence whereas this was i think two or three yeah
1: well i think the i think the multi-part aspect of a, of a big battle scene is kind can be done really well like you look at um the battle of helms deep in lord of the rings where there's like there are definitive stages to that thing you have like the first like defense of the of the ramparts with like the uh with the ladders coming up and then there's an explosion that takes out part of the wall so then there's the next part which is like fighting in the courtyard and then they realize that they're going to take out the gate so then they pull some people (sighs) back in order to go take out the it's like to defend the gate and then they break through all those things so then they have to get back into the keep and then there's a final ride out and it's like so like each of those things i think breaking it up that way can be quite useful I think yeah. the issue here is that there isn't really, um, there's not a lot of difference between the different like breaks you have like, okay, so we're going to just, and maybe there also there's not enough like variety within them. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like you just, you just like the great thing with Lord of the Rings, right? Is you got like, you got like a bone arrow guy, you got a sword <laughs> guy, you got you got, got it's like, you got guy. an axe guy, you got all this like different types of like people and characters that are all doing different sorts of things um and like as opposed to like here where it's kind of like okay so there's a bunch of people who look this way and a bunch of people who look this way these people are all using guns these people are all using swords and like how many times can you just watch people stab people with guns with swords like it just it Mm -hmm. gets old after a while
0: and you know what like first of all that helm's deep battle scene is like an all-timer that might be the is that the like
1: um, i think that is the the, the mark to beat is that
0: the gold standard battle scene
1: like for me personally i think so because i don't think even Minas tirith in the third movie actually manages to trump helms deep i think it's just it's so good <laughs> should i go we watch that should should we should we get together and watch all the lord of the rings movies in a single day
0: <laughs> oh my god we haven't done that in
1: years it's been such a long time that i think was we like do it.
0: that was like 2013 yeah We've not, we're both old and have known each other for a long time.
1: We've known each other for a very long time.
0: <laughs> um, you know, a couple thoughts on that battle compared to this one. The Helm's Deep battle scene is, I don't think it's half the movie, but it's like, would you say a it third? Feels it? It. It, it feels like it, like maybe a third of the movie. It's long and it's also cut up, not just by, like you said, like changing aspects of the battle itself but it also cuts to like different events in the world so you'll you'll cut to like mary and pippin and they're um they're doing things with the ents um (laughs) i think you cut to um eowyn has something going on as well i'm trying to remember um Oh, Frodo and Sam have something. Frodo good. and
1: Sam and Osgiliath with um. Yes, yes, with, yes, yes. It's like Sean Bean Jr.
0: Sean Bean Jr. Well, guy who was in uh, Three Hundred.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're 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 all one-eyed, in, the one-eyed guy. The
0: one-eyed guy, <laughs> exactly. Who, who who spoke in prose? It was, it was an interesting choice. Anyway, um, that kind of helps to like make it the battle not seem like it's dragging on to me. Whereas this was, like, this is the only thing going on in The Last Samurai was, like, this battle scene. It doesn't cut to anything else. It's just, like, a, a a extended battle scene with multiple parts, but there was nothing else to cut it with.
1: Yeah. And for me, I think another issue is kind of the idea of, like, there's a lack of victory conditions, in, like, here, in terms of, like, whenever you have a feeling of, like, a hopeless battle, you, is like it's hard to kind of give an indication of like, how do we win this then? Like, what are we aiming for like, other than just kill all the soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted like Helm's deep has the same victory conditions. Um, but I, as I, I don't really know why it doesn't bother me there, but with this one is just kind of like the, it's like when they, they're bringing up Thermopylae, they're bringing up the 300, they're bringing up the fact that they're just all going to die. And I'm kind of like, okay, like then, get on with it like
0: let's just (laughs) go yeah i think it's harder to like because that was the the end result right like everybody did die spoilers Mm -hmm. spoilers Mm -hmm. for the audience for this 20 year old movie um everyone but nathan Ogren did die um but it serves a purpose right because that death kind of um serves as inspiration for the emperor to nix his trade agreement with the united states um Mm -hmm. and that wouldn't i don't think that would have happened unless there was this mass casualty in this battle and his mentor is killed
1: yeah it's it's, definitely one of the things that edwards wick likes the idea of you lose the battle but you win the war
0: yeah yes um and you know that as the viewer i guess or it's revealed Mm -hmm. afterwards but like as you're watching it it like I agree. Like you, you, you know that there's no like, there's no end game here. There's no like chance of victory. That kind of feels a little bit like hopeless, a little bit. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's many like kind of hopeless battles, like uphill battles throughout like throughout history. I think like them making the direct reference to Thermopylae with the 300 Spartans was like a good choice. There's also the the Alamo, but I don't think the Alamo really. It's like has I don't think the Alamo had happened yet, or maybe it had, I don't remember. I don't know enough about it was like uh the uh American it was like American war history <laughs> at this point. Um but definitely like something that kept me going throughout the entirety of the battle scene, regardless of how long it was, was our boy Hans Zimmer. He's still doing he's still doing the Lord's work. Of course. <laughs> um, of course. He's- um, I want to talk about a few scenes with Hans Zimmer, where effectively, if you remove his his, his music, how this the the scene is shot is just stupid. Um, okay. The one that I have in mind is actually the samurai entering Tokyo. Um, so this is like when they're finally coming; they're finally returning Tom Cruise to uh, to Tokyo, and they're also going to see the Emperor. Yes. And they the the samurai roll into town on their horses and like everyone just freaks out they're all just like running away it's like and it's like stuff like that so much time is spent on their like entering the city and everyone freaking out and people looking at each other and people being intense and if like, you took the music away from that it just looks dumb but the music that's playing is so
0: cool it's got, <laughs> it's got the swelling like na-na.
1: Because we hear that sort of like, it's like that sort of build up a few times in the movie, but rarely do we get to actually like play the full melody. It's just so good, and it's it's so rarely in the movie. So when it and it, but they used it here in this like random scene, like mm-hmm. it works so well. It works so well. It's great, great job.
0: I've never thought about that. Like if it, if you took the music out, if you took the score out, it would just look weird. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking of like the final scene in the movie when Nathan comes back to the village, and it's just like he gets back on horseback. Taka is doing something I can't quite remember, but she looks up and sees him. Pans to him, pans to her. They look at each other. Movie ends. And I think it, like over cat like over that, um Peter Pettigrew is talking. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> talking about like what happened to the American soldier. Um
1: mm-hmm.
0: but there's the like the classic I, I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna like say it because I think I'm I'm kind of toned as to be honest. But um that is playing and i think if you took that out it would just be like he looks at her she looks at him and it'd be kind of weird but like with the with the score it works
1: yeah well there are some there are a lot of movies out there now that are like more independent films that use really minimalist like music like they don't have a whole lot of non-diegetic music we just watched a movie called the sound of metal with a Riz Ahmed that's um, it has very little like non-diegetic music in it. So a lot of times you are just watching characters like sitting with their thoughts, but it it induces like a very different feeling. Like it's like, if you're going to like enjoy a scene like that, you have to be reading into the interiority of like, what's the character thinking about. Um, I don't think that when you're watching like Tom Cruise in this book, I I, I have never bought Tom Cruise as a romantic lead in anything. So when I'm watching him like, like, like ogle this woman who murdered her husband, I'm just like, I'm not sitting there going, Hmm, what must he be thinking? So like the music is really doing a lot of the heavy lifting for me. there.
0: It's very necessary in those scenes, right? Yeah. 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 I've gone back and forth on the, the romantic aspect of the movie i don't know uh what what are your thoughts um
1: yeah i just i just feel like it adds nothing it's 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 like it feels like an ego boost for tom cruise in some ways like i think like this could have been a whole story like the idea of kind of like okay you've killed this person's like spouse and then you've been forced into close quarters with them for a long period of time because of like differences in culture. There's like misunderstandings. Like this could be a whole movie, but like really the love scene seems so the love stuff seems so like tacked on because the, the only relationship I'm really invested in is uh, Tom Cruise and my boy Ken. Like those are the people mm-hmm. I want to, yeah. I want to see them talking whenever it gets back to a scene where it's like talking and Tom Cruise. I'm like, Oh great. This is like, this actress who's doing an amazing job at having this kind of like, like refined distance, like the idea of like an intentional distancing herself from this person Mm -hmm. and like slowly being brought in. I think she's doing a great job, but I just don't really understand what there is to be brought in by, by Tom Cruise's character in so many aspects. It just like, you're not desirable (laughs) to be in any way, shape or form. So I just don't feel it.
0: (laughs) Speaking of, um, um, well, of the actress who plays Taka, um, another one of my one scenes is um at one point Taka goes back to like she meets with Katsumoto and she's like get this guy out of my house <laughs> I can't stand the shame of housing the man who murdered my husband yeah I ask permission to end my life and she's like no
1: <laughs> I know it's Nathan
0: so Nathan comes around her mood like her like demeanor changes she smiles politely and leaves nathan says like she's been very kind to me katsumoto's like she's honored to have you as a guest <laughs> <laughs>
1: you liar <laughs> no,
0: wanted to end her life
1: so do you think that tom cruise knows that he's lying there that that katsumoto is lying in that scene Ooh. I was wondering that a lot because he's it's at this stage where he's starting to pick up some Japanese but not a lot of it so he's yeah. still kind of mostly isolated but I, I do wonder like does he buy this does he buy the fact that like that he's like he's sitting there oh well that's nice
0: <laughs> Or <laughs> just... even, or even just like picked up on the nonverbal cues of, like, the mm-hmm. conversation as he entered. Like, have you ever, wa- like, walked into a room and, like, you can tell people were talking about you because, like, yes. the conversation just stops? Um, yeah. I'm sure he picked up on that and was like, I don't think that's what was being talked about here. I think it was me and not in a good way. Um,
1: yeah. like, I was just walking down the hallway and heard some raised voices.
0: So, <laughs> so I, like, between my two viewings in the last three weeks, I went – from to complete opposite ends of the spectrum, where like two uh, three weeks ago, when I first watched the movie, I was like, "I am not a fan of this romance. I don't mm-hmm. get it. I don't think it's needed. It seems inherently weird that like, like how could you ever overcome that thing that happened mm-hmm. that like you had a person you were married to, and then you're forced to live with the person that killed him um and maybe maybe in the movie it could have like developed into like a mild respect or friendship but like into a romance seemed like a bridge too far yeah but then when i watched it last night i don't know if i was in like a different headspace or something but i was like like if you are watching the three-hour movie it seems like it occurred at like blindingly fast pace Mm-hmm. But because the movie takes place over an entire like many many months when they were living together and um you know Nathan becomes like a part of that household over time like he's part like participating in the households he's helping with chores he develops a relationship with her children um I don't know I I wonder like people are complicated I wonder if there was like something could have developed there
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's tough to say. <laughs>
1: yeah like i i'm i i have no idea if it would be realistic or not it's like in given the time period or whatnot it's like for me it was just um i just didn't really care for it it's like i think you might be right that i think the the like bridge too far is just the the kiss like i honestly think that if they just kept the tension the unresolved tension between the two of them and kind of like set it as like a thing of like maybe yeah okay maybe they're interested in each other like romantically or something or maybe it's just an aspect of like admiration or just like a benefit of like them him filling a role that's needed in this family that's kind of missing it's the the kiss feels incredibly western and like incredibly hollywood and just like unnecessary
0: it yeah like if you removed just the kiss and had everything else stay had the tension there and then he comes back at the end of the movie they share that look and you're like I think he came back for her
1: yeah what are they gonna do
0: what's gonna happen there like that would that would have been way better
1: yeah that's kind of what I think would have been would have been a better a better Mm -hmm. way to kind of handle that scenario
0: yeah I really like that scene where he you know he's just learning Japanese Um, he's Mm -hmm. not very good at it but then like He goes to talk to her um, while she's at the fireplace and just in broken Japanese just says like, I'm sorry Mm -hmm. about what happened. I'm sorry that I killed your husband. And she forgives him, says like, you know, you it wasn't I know it wasn't uh, in cold blood or anything. You did your duty. He did his duty. I really enjoyed that scene. That was nice. Yeah
1: yeah I also like the portion where she, where um when they're about to go off to battle and the younger boy gets angry and leaves, and she's saying like you know life of a samurai is hard for the children he doesn't understand he's like he misses his father, and then Tommy's like he's angry because I took that away. He's like, no, he's angry because you kind of like brought he's like you're he's scared, we're gonna lose you too sort of thing <laughs> I think that was that was kind of a cute turnaround in that yeah. way. All right. So, it's like we're we're getting into this, we should probably move on to the conclusions soon. But yeah. do you have any other as like of your a myriad of scenes that you wanted to discuss <laughs> as like that uh that maybe you haven't had a chance to talk about yet? Um. Hmm.
0: Okay, one maybe more, one question I wanted to pose to you. All right, bring it. I'd interested to get your thoughts on this. So, it's this like theme in the movie of you know, the ancient way versus the modern way. I think Peter Pre- Peter Pettigrew has a great <laughs> line in this movie where he says, like the the ancient and the modern are at war for the soul of Japan. And Katsumoto believes his rebellion is in service of the Emperor. And I kind of go back and forth on this. Do you think Katsumoto was right in starting his rebellion? Um, because I would think that, like outside of this movie, just in my like personal like way that I view the world, like you know modernization, globalization, technological advances advances like overwhelmingly are good things um, but Katsumoto believes that he he would like to keep things the traditional way. He doesn't want modernization to happen to his country. Mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that uh
1: yeah within the the movie it's like kind of a hard question to like, to answer like was the movie like is very adamant that like it, it kind of does one of those things where it's like yeah we're it's like traditional versus like um versus industrial but really it's like katsumoto versus like omura like those are like the like the two like like uh, recognizable like figureheads of both sides Mm -hmm. um we have this argument about civil war like captain america civil war all the time about (laughs) the idea that it's like is it are we talking if we're talking about the ideals about which ones i agree with then it's one answer but the movie presents us in terms of the characters that represent those two ideals and it's clear where our allegiances should fall because it's like you're gonna vote for you're you're gonna vote for the Sokovia Accord thing? It's like, well, you know, it's like because you know, like, 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 like Iron Man's just doing this because he's guilty. Like, there's no moral compass behind this. I'm like, okay, yeah, but like the idea behind it though is like, but no, we're talking. It's like the movie is presenting it as you're not thinking about this in terms of the real world. We're thinking about it as this philosophy is represented by this person, <laughs> Katsumoto, who is noble and caring and wants the best for his emperor and this philosophy is represented by this person who is conniving and evil and like and is like it tries to assassinate people and is cowardly um and so because of that i think it's physically impossible in this movie to not side with katsumoto because of that kind of representation of character in the real world as we had kind of mentioned at the beginning of this like the samurai might have been doing what they were doing simply because they liked having control of things mm-hmm. modernization i'm sure helped a lot of like the lower class in japan in many different ways um but at the same time i'm sure that they also lost a lot is like um of their aspects of their culture that were um that were kind of like forever lost because of as like influence from western powers so it's, it's, I think the real world is much less black and white, but in, in the span of this movie, it sets it up as a very obvious dichotomy for me. Like you side here or you side with this guy. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to side with that guy. So yeah.
0: Just... Well, because that's, you're right. That's how it's portrayed in the movie. But I, I do get this thought when I watch the movie, like, okay, like railroads aren't bad railroads are good (laughs) i kind
1: of like railroads (laughs) you know (laughs) i like rail,
0: like railroads technology um those things aren't inherently bad but you're right it's like it's the it's the idea of a lost culture or like a dilution of culture Mm -hmm. is is what's at stake
1: yeah and the idea that, like, the, the people who represent the stuff that's coming in is, like, are, like, all, like, it's, you know, it's, like, the capitalist, greedy, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, yeah, that stuff all sucks. We all hate that. Uh, but there's other things that you get out of it as well, um, like trains. Everyone likes trains.
0: And I think there was, there the, um, that that's historically accurate, that, like, resistance to modernization in Japan, I believe, because Definitely. there yeah. was... Um, there was that thought of wanting to maintain the way of life there for a long time.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was, it was not the West, like European powers were never looked on entirely favorably by Japan. It was like in a lot of different ways. And Japan had like huge swaths of time in which they would allow no Western influence at all. And then they would like shift to like really trying to like upgrade into the modern universe, like modern world for a bit. And then like a new like regime would come in and then it'd be like, oh nope, getting rid of that is like, and so there was a lot of that sort of stuff. There's a movie called Silence that's about like the Jesuit priests that are trying to like kind of be missionaries in Japan back during when Japan was like, no, no Europeans set soil set foot on this soil. If I if you if you're here as a Jesuit priest, you die. <laughs> and um, I,
0: I did read that. Yeah, like there was a period of time where if, people, if foreigners even like set foot on Japanese soil, like they were killed immediately.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and for a long time, the only country that they would do business with was the Dutch. Strangely enough,
0: oh, all right,
1: don't really know why, but yeah, they so yeah, it was a thing. Um. Anyway, yeah. So I think at this point, we, we're best to to move on into the end of our talk, which is the conclusion section. Sounds good. Let's do it.
0: Section 4. Conclusion.
1: So the conclusion is, as one might imagine, a conclusion. It concludes everything. Now, for the most part, most podcasts at this point, will put like up a, a number grading of some sort. Like, we give The Last Samurai this out of this sort of thing. Uh, but we here at the Arts Union Science Journal find that process to be kind of ridiculous. Like, how are you supposed to put The Last Samurai on the same numerical scale as, I don't know, Feibel Goes West? It's like, you know, like both movies successful in what they're going for. Um, both is like featuring kind of like people from another land showing up in this like new place and being really good at something that the uh, it's like that it was not really intention for them to be good at. Um, but, you know, other than that, not really comparable. So instead, what we do here is we provide a it's like we take The Last Samurai and we're comparing it against movies that do a very specific thing. We provide you a positive control for that thing. So the 100% success and negative control which would be 0% success. And then somewhere on that spectrum, we place The Last Samurai. And so, Sean, you had mentioned that you're going to be talking a little bit about Tom Cruise and in, ter- in terms of relating this movie to other Tom Cruise performances. Is that correct?
0: Yes. Um, so I, I've by no means watched all the Tom Cruise movies. He has a lot of them. In fact, I looked like a uh i looked up a list like a hierarchy of tom cruise movies and the article had like 40 listed and yep. i was like i haven't seen many of these movies um but from the ones i have seen so i put kind of a tie for top roles between um mission impossible one
1: mm-hmm. yep
0: and the movie collateral i don't know if you've seen that i love the movie Collateral. so good <laughs> it's such a good
1: movie so
0: good <laughs> Um, so for his top roles and for his worst roles I put Mission Impossible 2 same article I I listed had number 40, the last one being um, the movie Lions for Lambs which I feel like I've seen is
1: that one where he has the Irish accent?
0: no, I think he's a a US senator Um, I think it was kind of like a mid-2000s movie it's been a long time since i saw it but i put mission impossible too um and so if i'm putting like those like top roles as a 10 worst roles as a one i would put the last samurai as a solid seven seven that's a good one
1: yep yeah i, I go with that yeah when i'm looking at his like i think collateral is probably my favorite performance by him um And it's, it's comes back to what I was saying before. Like he has the intensity, the steely eyed reserve, but he also has that feeling like it's impossible to figure out if anything he's saying is true. Like Mm -hmm. you don't, he's very performative as a, as a person. He's so used to putting up the shield. And I think that Tom Cruise, when you can feel like he is a robot who's trying to emulate human emotion, I think it works best because (laughs) in some ways I think he is some sort of like a robotic human being who's trying to emulate human emotion.
0: Yes. Yes absolutely uh
1: so for mine i decided to measure the last samurai against good films that were with incredibly awkward romantic entanglements <laughs> so it's like so here the is is like the romantic entanglement i'm going to be referring to is man falls in love with woman of is a and woman is like the former wife of a person that that man killed um so you know very awkward um my positive control is actually the movie West side story. Right, Either yeah. one doesn't matter which kind of percent, because in those movies, um, the, it's like the char- there's two characters that are in love with each other, despite the, it's like, and they actually sleep together the same night that the guy killed the girl's brother. Um, so, you know, yep. incredibly awkward. Yep. Very strange. Um, And then my negative control is When Harry Met Sally, not because it's a bad movie, not at all, but because it has a slightly awkward romantic entanglement, but much lower key. We're talking about just two people who've been friends for a really long time and then have like a one night thing go on and everything gets awkward. Like, this is more within the realm of acceptable. Like, we've all heard stories like this. We might have even taken part in stories like this. Very few of us have taken part in stories similar to West Side Story or The Last Samurai in terms of romantic entanglements. And so because of that, The Last Samurai gets a solid 92% okay. right up there with West Side Story. Yep, that, that,
0: that tracks. <laughs>
1: because it is so awkward to imagine. The only thing that makes it less awkward is the fact that they have a whole season, a whole winter to work through yes. this kind of strange emotional like crucible that they found themselves in, as opposed to West Side story, where it's literally murders murders a murders a brother, shows up in the sister's window, she gets a little angry, he's like, okay, I'm gonna go turn myself into the police, and she's like, No, stay instead. And then they have sex. So like, <laughs> you know. It's
0: a big old yikes.
1: That's a big old yikes right there. So that's where we're gonna place the last samurai on that aspect, to be clear. Last Samurai is not as good a movie as When Harry Met Sally. It's like, um, but this is my art. This is my, this is my, 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 uh, my measurement. This is my, this is my scale. Where, where,
0: where would you put
1: it if
0: the kiss didn't happen?
1: Oh, I think that would drop it down to probably like a solid, like 65. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're still in like awkward territory, but you know, like, as we said, the um this the state of the relationship at the end is more open it Mm -hmm. can be many different things and like you know becoming friends with someone who like you ended up like murdering your husband is like you know still impressive it's still above the norm we're above the 50 percent it's like a percentile here for sure it's like but at the same time like that's something you can believe you're like i can i can see this happening and it's kind of uplifting it's like look at that we can overcome our differences and then they kiss each other and i'm like oh hollywood (laughs) you're at it again
0: (laughs) that's right up there with um in terms of like hollywoodness that's right up there with um the the ninth star wars movie where they had ray and kylo ren kiss based on very little screen time together and you're like you just had to do it eh you just had to throw in that kiss
1: John I've I've spent so much time. you know how many months I've gone without thinking about the rise of Skywalker this is like that old do you remember that old game that we used to play back in high school where it was called the game and if you thought about the game then you lost the game and no oh God this is like maybe this is like a diff- the difference that the two or three years and like an age does but there was a thing back that we used to play in high school and it was called the game and effectively the game the the goal of the game was to not think about the game. And if you thought about the game, then you lost. And is like you had them 30 minutes before you reset and you were back in the game. Um, and there was a, such a long time period where effectively there were certain things so that my brain had so int- intimately connected with the game that it didn't matter how old I got. If I thought about them, I would lose the game. And then there was like years. It was a glorious time, sometime between 2016 all the way up to like 2019, where I didn't think about the game at all. And I was winning. I was on, I was like, I was on cloud nine. And then one of my friends mentioned it. and I was like, damn it. And now I'm back in it. I'm back in the game, Sean.
0: (laughs) And I guess I've just reminded
1: you now. And that is the game and rise of Skywalker, two birds, one stone right in my face. I'm so
0: sorry. I did this to you.
1: Uh, maybe someday we'll have to do one on the sequels. it we'll have to do a thing on the sequel trilogy of star wars but maybe yeah. we'll wait for the the culture to calm down a little bit on it <laughs> yeah i
0: it's, it's such a loaded such like a loaded topic
1: yeah and i think it will remain for a good long time similar to it's like well, you know we, we've done we've we've tackled Controversial subjects before the Eternals, the only mm. like um neg- negatively reviewed Marvel movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Now the Last Samurai, probably one of the most reviled modern white savior films. It's like um, like for a good long while. And maybe it's only fitting that the next thing we do is bungle our way into the Last Jedi.
0: <laughs> Why not? Right, we'll go for a third. <laughs> we'll go for a third. <sighs>
1: I think that brings us to the end of this episode of the arts union science podcast we obviously have to give a big thanks to a few people the first big thanks we're going to give is to sean fitman thank you so much for agreeing to do this for coming up with the idea being the driving force behind putting this episode together it was a great time and i actually did very much enjoy both of my edwards wick it's like a, movies that i watched for this despite their complex relationship with fact and hollywood narrative
0: yes no i absolutely I had a great time both watching the movies and doing this pod and always happy to be on
1: well it's like you'll it's like if uh, if the people keep demanding your return we'll keep bringing you back it's like so <laughs> over and over again volume after volume sean Hundreds of years, John and Tyler, and our <laughs> science podcast—six
0: seasons in a movie. Six seasons in a movie.
1: Uh, we also have to give a big thanks to Brett Kinrad for our long-awaited now here music, which you know rises to the ranks of those brought forward by like good old Hans and his like. So good job, Brett. And then also to our fabulous editor, Felicity James. If you'd like to provide a review of our submission, feel free to email us at artsunionscience at gmail.com, all in word with no caps. You can tell us if you accept our findings, accept them with revisions, or just outright reject them. We in academia are used to rejection and won't take it personally. Thanks for listening and make sure to join us again in two weeks' time for another submission to the Arts Union Science Journal. Your session
0: with the Arts Union Science Journal. Has expired. Please try again later.
1: Roll sound. Rolling. Sound production, take two. And then this is the part where the little music plays, little ditty. Brett's little ditty. He's got in here. It's gonna, it's gonna. It's always fun. Brett's amazing. Amazing score. Isn't he, you
0: know?
1: Yeah, <laughs> he really like. He's like the Hans Zimmer of this podcast. Just really did. Yes. And, did a great score. <laughs> I'll tell him that tomorrow.